listening to the Shaping Narratives podcast, a collection of voices from West Michigan's communities of color. I'm Mariano Avila, the executive producer of Shaping Narratives here at WGVU Public Media, PBS and NPR in West Michigan. Today's episode features George Walker, the third host of WGVU's Cultural Ingredients. It's a special episode because we bid him farewell from West Michigan as he moves on to the next chapter of his life and career in California. But we do talk through the process that it was for him to be part of Shaping Narratives here at WGVU and to develop his own show, Cultural Ingredients, and what's next for him, for his career, and for the many enterprises that he has started here in West Michigan. So without further ado, this is my conversation with George Walker III. WGVU Studios with George Walker III. George, we have known each other now for a while, and this is um, a bittersweet podcast for me to do because we've been working on trying to create a TV series based on your pilot cultural ingredients for the past two years. And now it looks like that may not happen, but for good reasons, for good reasons. So briefly tell us why, and then we can maybe start our uh, more formal part of the podcast. Right. Yeah. Well, what's up, man? What's good? It's good to see you. <laughs> you too, always. <laughs> yeah, especially in these this this turbulent time that we're all living in right now. But yes, um, I am actually moving to Napa, California. Um, I got an amazing opportunity, um, as most of you all know. Um, if you don't know, um, wine is my passion. Wine is my love. And I've recently come across the opportunity to be the first official employee of uh, Wade Sellers. Um, and Wade Sellers is owned by um, Dwayne Wade, three-time uh, NBA champion, MVP, um, the homie now, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. But yeah, so I'm the first official employee, the assistant director of operations uh, slash um, brand ambassador. Wow. So I'm really, really excited about that. Dude, that I mean, that's amazing. Just for someone coming out of the Midwest to make a jump that huge in general is hard. When we met, you were, to my knowledge, at least in West Michigan or the west side of Michigan. I shouldn't say West Michigan, the west side of Michigan. You were the only black sum, period. <laughs> I, I th- This could be my ignorance, but I, I have not met and I've asked around. Yeah. Is, is that true? At, at the time, um yeah, pretty much. Yeah, was at that the time, the true? Yes. yes, true for the whole state or just the west side? Um, the west side for sure. Um, I don't know of any. Or I didn't know of any others at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm starting to become more aware as we get more connected, or ha- as we have gotten more connected through uh, this season of COVID. But even then, there's probably only there's probably five, definitely under ten for sure. There is another one now. Um, he is opening uh, the wine bar, GR Noir. I got to shout, shout him out. Shachan, uh, he's absolutely amazing, has passion. And I'm really excited for what he and his wife, Nadia, are doing in Grand Rapids now. Okay, so we met. Uh, I'd heard about you, I think, initially just kind of as like this this rising star in in teaching kids about, um, but you were primarily in Muskegon, teaching kids about culture through these crazy events, amazing events that you used to put together for kids. Can you describe those a little bit and what they were called? 
Yeah, yeah. So that was actually during my time when I was when I was living in Muskegon, Michigan. Um, I moved to Muskegon, Michigan to attend the Culinary Institute of Michigan, where I majored in food and beverage management. And it was when uh, my after my first year being there that I took this class, or I, I had taken this class um, with who is one one of my now mentors, Rosalind Mayberry, and her class was called the History of Eating and Drinking. Um, and it basically took us through the the history of the farm to table movement and good food movement within the U.S. And we focused on people like Alice Water at Chez Panisse in San Francisco and uh, a bunch of different other culinary icons. And it was then that I saw the need and also I saw the connection between food and culture and saw the need to be able to bridge that and, and bring that to the, the kids who look like me, particularly in Muskegon Heights. So I developed this class called the History of Food and Regional Culture where I taught kids um, from the ages of 12 to 17, 18, how to cook food from different regions of the world. And we basically split it up into three different parts. The first part of the class was um, we kind of went over the, the culinary history, um, the geographical location of the particular region that we were focusing on for that week. And then the second part of that was to actually cook the food from that particular region and apply those uh, culinary techniques that we had previously talked about in that first phase, our first uh, part of the class. And then the third part, lastly, was um, we got to smash and really eat the food. And it was really cool because they they were able to um, partake in the things that they just they just created from from nothing. And while they were eating the food, um, what we did was we listened to the music from those particular areas so that we could kind of immerse these kids in this culture and make them feel that, that even though that they probably couldn't have traveled to these countries at that particular time just because of economic reasons, unfortunately, most of the kids who I was teaching lived in poverty, unfortunately. And, and that's uh, the, the story of Muskegon Heights. Um, amazing, amazing talent, but it's plighted with uh, unfortunate circumstances that these kids are raised under. So it was my goal to be able to have them and give them the experience of traveling through food and through this class. Around the time we met was when I had moved from Muskegon to Grand Rapids. Tell me a little bit about like which countries did you do? Yeah, yeah. So we did Italy. We did. So what I did was I wanted to focus on particular regions in Italy and not just say, okay, we're going to focus on the entire country as a whole, because there are so many different regions within a country that completely different than from the north from the south. So we focused on Florence. Um, We also did New Orleans style. Um, And I thought that it was really important. That was probably the most impactful and also most fun class to teach for me um, was New Orleans just because New Orleans is so diverse and New Orleans cuisine is so diverse and has so much rich history that gives it the makeup to what the food is. We talked about the influence from the Africans stemming from the slave trade. Um, we also talked about the influence from the Spanish when, when the Spaniards controlled that, that territory. And then we also talked about the French influence that New Orleans has and when, when the French had 
control over that 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 region and and that story is told through the food that story is told through the music and also the food is just amazing <laughs> like <laughs> we made yeah. uh we made jambalaya uh, jambalaya and it was oh That's my god great. amazing so good <laughs> <laughs> so so you were doing this you were doing this for kids which to be perfectly honest, when I heard about this this cat who's doing these amazing things, with, <laughs> I just assumed you were like this thirty year old teacher, <laughs> you know, who was. I, and that's not old; that's much younger than I am. But you know, it, it, I just assumed you were like way older, right on, and like very established. And because these are the kinds of things that people do when they look back and they're like, "I, I need to give back," not at the start of their career. Wow. Um, so we start asking around, and we're saying like, "We have this opportunity." to do this program shaping narratives and we could talk about that in a sec but um the the idea is to to take folks who have an amazing uh impact on their community but not a big enough platform at, at least as far as what tv and radio would provide and so we were going to train you guys over the course of about a year and then create a program or, or basically ask you to develop and then create with you a program that was entirely your concept but um made use of our professional resources uh cameras production assistants directors writers everything which is what we did and i want to get to your show but when we uh i still remember because this was uh, for me impactful we interviewed a bunch of people frankly uh, a lot and you were one of kind of the later people and i think it was alice uh lynn who who recommended you and so we had you come in and you came in and obviously, you know, we're like, wow, this guy's amazing. And like, his, you know, his presence, you know, his appearance, wow, you're thank a good looking you. cat. No, thank you, man. Really <laughs> um, Appreciate it, brother. <laughs> and, and as you're walking out, I remember I got George Davis, who is our events coordinator saying like, I saw that George came through whatever he's doing for you. You, you gotta, you, know, you, you gotta put him on. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's a good endorsement. I really respect George. And then, uh, you walked past. Um, I think it was Tommy. Tommy, Tommy Allen. That's yeah, Tommy <laughs> Allen from Rapid Growth, and he's like, "What is George Walker doing with you?" And I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "I just I have been thinking he needs to have his own show for a long time. I hope you're doing something with him." And so I was like, "Well, actually, that's kind of what we're thinking." And then a bunch of other people started like just kind of hitting me up out of the blue, people that I don't have contact wow. with, and I was like, "Wow, all right." I mean, that that speaks clearly. Like, that's we, awesome. That the is community so is behind this guy. He's not even from here. And people are behind <laughs> him. So, so obviously we invited you. And then uh, you were part of a cohort at the time was 10 people, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it got smaller as the, the program got more intense. Right. And right. your responsibility became clearer. Uh, but what, what did you think? You came in. Did, did you know everybody or who did you know? Oh, my gosh. Um, it was that was an amazing experience. Um, one, because that was actually with that was my first year, not even year. I'd been in Grand Rapids at the time for maybe four months uh, fully. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I, I had this relationship with Alice, um, an amazing, amazing friend of mine. And I remember uh, meeting up with her uh, and just kind of chopping it up and just talking to shop. And she was really ecstatic about this opportunity that she had just got um, shaping narratives. And she was telling me about how, you know, she, she was basically going to be able to create her own show. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is absolutely amazing. This is crazy. Like what? Like, I'm so excited for you, you know. So um, she ends up hitting me up um, maybe like a week later, not even. And she was like, hey. I actually suggested you for for this 
to be a part of this cohort too. And I was like, yo, what? Like, are you, are you serious? Like, this is, this is crazy. This is dope. Like I was like really humbled. I mean, cause I didn't expect it at all, not by any means. So that's when we got in contact, um, you and I, and I met you and it was, it was amazing, you know? And, and from the get go, I mean, from the jump after I, after you all accepted me in the cohort, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I, and that was basically recreate the history of food and regional culture, but in TV form, which is how cultural ingredients came about, um, being able to, uh, look at the immigrant story within West of Michigan and be able to tell their story and their journey through, um, their, uh, native country through food and particularly through one and, uh, one ingredient. And, and I think that was the twist that it took. Right, you, you, right. You did come in with the immigrant stories already formed. Exactly. I remember that. I was like, wow, exactly. this dude knows exactly what he wants. Right. But I didn't know, I didn't have the idea for the the one particular ingredient because I honestly, I just wanted to focus on that, that story. And I didn't, I, that's, that, that was a story that I wanted to tell. And after being in the class and, and expressing, um, expressing what I wanted to do, we were able to find uh, a solid storyline and a solid um idea of what the actual show would be and that's when we found out that we wanted to do one ingredient so so tell me about like going through the program for you it was uh three modules that we did the first one was on decolonity and basically teaching people how to think of their own story as people of color in the united states without thinking about it from a majority culture perspective so whether that is the religious majority which is you know protestant christianity or the racial majority, which is, you know, white folks, or the ethnic majority, which is European. So that was, you know, 10 weeks of of training with Andrea and Melanie, and then uh, who are professors here at Grand Valley. And then uh, we have doctors, doctors. Yes. Yeah. They're uh, they're both in the liberal studies department here at Grand Valley and powerhouses. I mean, like literally absolutely brilliant minds um that 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 first module was particularly impactful for me because i had been going through my own journey with with education and learning for so long uh, i have been so focused on the vocational aspect of learning as opposed to the liberal arts i mean i did go to a vocational school so i had i had these ideas and these theories of of what i thought uh, life was at the end the the history of of the world I was having in particular conversations um, with my grandfather trying to find the history of uh, of my name George Washington Carver Walker the third and and beyond and, and where we came like, from your, your middle names are Washington <laughs> and Carver yeah yeah so my middle yeah so my you're, fo- you're gonna have to have like a, a restaurant brand <laughs> or like uh, you know something fancy uh, at some point in like oh man named after you because that's yeah, too good a name it's to just it's crazy ride. I mean uh, uh, quick story sidetrack yeah yeah I'll get back to it. So so my my, my full name, George Washington Carver Walker III. Uh, So my great grandfather, my um, my father, my grandfather's father uh, was actually a janitor at Tuskegee University. And it was while he was a janitor at Tuskegee University that he befriended George Washington Carver. And they created this relationship or developed this relationship so much so that when George Washington Carver passed away, uh, my great grandfather decided that he was going to name his son after George Washington Carver. Um, And that's how I got my name. (laughs) Wow. the third so but yeah so I was having these conversations um with my with my grandfather um both on my 
mom's side and also my father's side trying to dig deeper into my history. And it was when we, we started this class that um, we started to talk about these terms that I had no idea about, but kind of got and uh, kind of understood. Uh, I just didn't have words for them. Um, things like, um, or phrases like decolonizing the mind and, and being able to unlearn um, these things that we have been, that we've, that we've learned uh, in, in school and for so long um, and, and have known things that were right but we're wrong actually um things like christopher columbus um he was a terrorist <laughs> i mean point blank period uh and 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 understanding that we have to unlearn these things in order for us to be able to know uh from whence we came mm-hmm. but yeah so that that module was particularly impactful for me because uh being in a group uh, uh, surrounded around people from so many different backgrounds. Um, we had people that were from Kenya there, um, people from Mexico. Um, we had uh, a person who was Sikh. Um, I mean, it was such a culturally diverse group that were attacking these um, core issues within our society and being able to discuss that makeup and how it's related to how we live in West Michigan was particularly impactful for me and also validating um, being in that space. I was also the youngest um, by a couple of years uh, <laughs> in the cohort. And, and to have these two doctors um, and then also uh, professionals uh, and an amazing producer yourself, um, have be a part of these conversations was, um, yeah, amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but you, you weren't out of place though. I mean, you, you're definitely <laughs> in, in the right uh, crew and everybody, you know, pretty impressed with you. Cause again, I mean, you were 24 when you started this. Yes. Yes. I was 24. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, again, so 20, I, 23, I was, your I was turning 24 30s when I heard about the things <laughs> that we're doing. And then to come to find out you're like 24. I, I don't know what I was doing, when I was 24, <laughs> but I wasn't there. I can tell you that much. Uh, so module two then was all about um, the techniques. Right. Of, of of filming and of audio and all that from a power perspective, like how do you use camera angles and lighting and stuff to show different forms of power, different forms of uh I, I guess, how do you center a particular group, you know, racially and all that stuff? And then the, the third module was uh, distribution. And, and that was kind of through a, kind of a community organizing lens, the, the Harvard School of Community Organizing. Right. Um, wh- what stood out about those two modules that, you know... Yeah, um, well, with module module two, it w- it came at uh, a particularly great time for me as well because that's I was actually dipping into film for myself and film and photography, um, and and trying to learn how to do that. Um, yeah, just for my own and then also for my particular brand, and being able to be a part of that module to where I was actually or where you all actually taught us how to piece together um, a storyline. And um, but technically, um, so be able to shoot and and have these shots and then have all of these different frames and then piece them together um, to be able to make uh, to be able to make a story was was particularly impactful. Um, And then also being able to work with lighting and and, um, be in the studio and, and do these interviews or mock interviews that we were doing, but also they weren't necessarily mock because we were actually having real conversations. Um, but yeah, that was particularly impactful. 
Um, and yeah, it was just, it was amazing. It was something that I had no idea that I was going to be a part of at all. Um, <laughs> and honestly, when I first signed up, I didn't know exactly what I was signing up for. So to be able to have these three, the, those three modules that kind of broke it down in so many different ways made so much sense, um, looking back and also looking forward. And then you got to start writing your show. Right. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That was, yeah, that was crazy. Um, it's, it's, it's a really big difference being able to have these ideas and have these dreams. Um, but to be able to take these concepts that are in the clouds, what seems to be for so long, and then to actually write it down and put it on paper was absolutely, um, empowering if you will um and and then also having your help with um a lot of the writing um uh was was even more impactful um because before that I had no idea how to write a show or write a write a (laughs) storyline like that at all (laughs) now you do (laughs) but now I do which is which is amazing so I'm, I'm extremely thankful for that and and then also um one of the biggest things that I, I took away from that was the the conference that I was able to be a part of um, through um, shaping narratives. Um, I was able to go to Prague, Czech Republic, and be a part of the second global food heritage and cultural interdisciplinary conference. Wow, that was about full. <laughs> um, and also, it was it was a really really full and rich conference. Um, this conference was made up of doctors from all over the world, um, or professors slash doctors from all over the world who were working uh, around food and, and culture and heritage um, through different mediums. Um, um, and in their own right, and I was able to present our show that we that we did here um, through PBS and, and, and WGVU Cultural Ingredients, which was extremely well received. Um, but that that trip alone was just amazing because I was able to tack on some some other countries too, which was where'd you go? Yeah, <laughs> so I ended up going to Lisbon, Portugal, um, one of the most amazing cities that I've ever been to in my life. Um, and then also on that trip, I was able to go to Africa as well. I went to Morocco and I was able to go to five different cities within Morocco. Um, Casa, not Casablanca, I drove through Casablanca, but I went to Rabat, Marrakesh, Chefchaouen, um, Fez, and uh, one more that I can't. Uh, did I say Marrakesh already? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, yeah, but yeah, five different cities there. Um, but that trip alone, uh, holistically, um, jumping from uh, Europe or Eastern Europe, or really mid- Central Europe, to uh, Western Europe, and then down to Northern Africa, um, to be able to see all of those different cultures and different makeups all within the span of two weeks was absolutely mind-boggling. I mean, it was it was the most culturally impactful trip that I've ever made in my life. Um, and I am so thankful for that opportunity because I was able to meet so many different people, um, not only at the conference, but also while traveling through the Atlas Mountains in Morocco um, and also seeing the, the beautiful ocean and in Lisbon, Portugal. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> so, I mean, to, to bring it back to food, how was that trip for food? Oh, my God. I mean, 
it was it, unreal, uh, completely unreal. Um, from having fresh seafood on the ocean while I was in Lisbon and, and being able to taste the influence of, uh, the, well, really the African influence within, um, within Portugal and, and understanding that makeup of that country because so many Africans um, have, have gone through there and, and also lived there and migrated to, through there. Lisbon had so many black people and I was so surprised. I was, I was like, yo, what am I in Chicago? Like what's going on? Like, <laughs> yo, <laughs> like, which for dope. those who don't know, that's where you're from. Right, 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 right. Where I claim, I should say. Um, but oh, that, there's more there than I don't know. Then. There, yeah. So born in North Carolina, moved from North Carolina when I was three to Chicago. Oh. Um, moved from Chicago to Northwest Indiana when I was about twelve. And then when I turned 18, that's when I moved to Michigan. But my father is a pastor, and uh, my mom's a teacher, but we traveled um, that much because my father um, pastored a lot of different churches. But he's been in Indiana for now uh, over 10 years. Yeah, I, I know about that. My dad also. also <laughs> oh, yeah, right, right, right. We also traveled around a lot. Exactly. And, and you're the third, too, right? I am also the third. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Treyway. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, the food was amazing on that trip. Um, what I was mean, the Czech? I mean, I don't know anything about Czech cuisine. I have yeah. To I'm like completely ignorant. Yeah, no. I mean, it, it, it reminded me a lot of... Uh, West Michigan or the Midwest, I should say, meat and potatoes type ordeal. Um, mm-hmm. A bunch of different stews, uh, a lot of meat, really meat centric. It was, yeah, it was amazing. It was, it was really good. The hot chocolate there was, I mean, ugh, surreal. I, I, I thought I had hot chocolate before, but I, it was nothing like the hot chocolate that I had while in um, Czech Republic and and also Barcelona. But Czech was the first time that I had real hot chocolate, and I was like, okay, this is this is serious. What, what did they do that was different? Um, it was just real cocoa, honestly, and, and real chocolate. The way that they melted it down, um, and and then adding the cream, the heavy, the really really heavy dense, uh, uh, whip not whipped cream excuse me um but heavy cream cream. heavy cream if you will which can be whipping cream but yes um and it was just so rich um and and thick that it was uh, yeah the most amazing and decadent hot chocolate that i've ever (laughs) had in my life for sure because around that time it was it was still kind of chilly outside it wasn't you know it wasn't fully it was full on summer it was like april wasn't it? yeah it was yeah it was was, exactly it was like early spring um so it was still kind of chilly and it just yeah it was amazing Nice. And uh, so then you come back. Actually, we didn't talk about Morocco. What was Morocco's food like? Sorry. Oh, my goodness. Morocco was amazing. I remember traveling. So there were two food moments that I kind of had this aha moment, one of which was when I was traveling through the Atlas Mountains um, and we were on our way to see these uh, these ruins, if you will. And I was with a couple, uh, a couple that was from Israel. I was with two young girls that were from uh, Switzerland and then also another couple that was from Portugal. And and I ended up going to Portugal after um, Morocco, ended up actually linking back up with the couple that was on this trip um, that I met in Portugal, or that I met in Morocco that was from Portugal. But we were all on this van, um, this this caravan traveling through the mountains and the bus like ended up breaking down. Um, But it was fortunate that the bus broke down like right in front of this market that was just right on the side of the road. 
And at this market, um, I remember walking up or walking off the bus and getting this like crazy aroma and uh, like on my nose it was like it's so it was so spice filled that I was like yo where is this coming from and then it had like this char grill smell too and I, I like follow my nose I'm just like like a little dog <laughs> like trying to like, figure out like where this is coming from and I see this this huge slab of really not even a slab it was a it was a, a an entire lamb that was like skinned on the side of the road hanging from the ceiling um like on and a skewer like like on a not like an actual like lamb like the whole thing like the whole yeah like the whole thing (laughs) yeah like serious so i I see the guy uh, in the back like chopping it up and like chopping off the leg and uh, on this other side i see what are skewers that have been like marinated and in these spices um I'm, i'm assuming because I ended up asking, I was like, yo, what, what, how did you, how did you do this? And he's speaking like broken English. Um, and I know a little French, um, cause Moroccans, uh, their, I believe their second language is, uh, or the second national language is French. And if not the actual, uh, first with the, um, with the other language, but I ended up, you know, asking, yo, how did you do this? And he ended up saying, saying, um, tons of oranges, cumin, um, a bunch of different spices and it was just marinating and he put it on the grill and um, while we were waiting for the, the van to be fixed I was smashing um, this marinated lamb on the side of the road in Morocco overlooking the, the valley um, within this, these mountains it was crazy experience um, yeah that I, yeah, I, I, I have to go back if you have not been to Morocco go to Morocco. It's amazing. Um, the second uh, best experience uh, while in Morocco was when I was in uh, Marrakesh and what they call, uh, so they have the Medina and the Medina is the city center. And in the city center, um, the, the best way that I can describe Morocco is, um, and particularly the old city um, within the Medina, because it's it's usually split into two, two different parts. You have the old city and then you have the new city. And I was staying in the, the, the old city. And in the Medina, in the Medina, in the city center, there's tons of different. It's just a market, if you will. So you have a bunch of different vendors, um, which a, a lot of them are selling a bunch of fresh orange juice, which is amazing. I mean, freshly squeezed. Uh, but you have a lot of other uh, different restaurants and, and and carts, if you will, that serve food. And that was the first time that I've had uh, that I had tangine. And uh, tagine is, uh, it's a dish, it's a Moroccan dish, and it's also a Moroccan dish, if that makes any sense. So it's it's the vessel that you cook in. Um, so if you could imagine uh, a clay, kind of like plate slash bowl, and then uh, also a clay dome-like um, object that goes over it that they essentially roast um, all of the, the food in or within. Um, so it's typically made up of couscous, a bunch of different vegetables, dates, and then some sort of uh, a meat. And I'm I'm uh, a lamb fiend, so I always get lamb. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. So I got the lamb. 
and I was just sitting and overlooking. Uh, it, it it just became dusk and the, the sun had just set and I'm listening to this uh, Moroccan music and, and looking at kids playing this soccer in the streets and just overlooking this amazing city. <laughs> now yeah. I gotta go. You you now have I've to, go. Got to go. You like, have to go. It's wait, amazing. You can sell a city. <laughs> uh, I gotta send you to Mexico City. That's right. Oh I'm yeah, yeah. I, I am down for that. <laughs> I am right. down for that. I have to schedule that. Um, so, so you come back, you've learned these things, you've met with some, you know, academics of food uh, in the liberal arts version of academics. Right. Uh, you are with the like vocational masters. That's kind of where you you got you cut your teeth and and then you come back. And you're like, all right, let's make a show. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, let's do it. Let's rock and roll. It, it happened so quickly. We ended up um, so we ended up choosing two different restaurants. Um, one of which is one of my favorites and dear friends, and the other which has become one of my dear friends. Um, the first one is Sheoga, a Haitian restaurant here in Grand Rapids, and Oga is the owner and sole owner of of the the uh, the restaurant. And I've had this I've had a relationship with Oga um, for now since since I moved to Grand Rapids, and that that was the first time or the first time that I experienced Haitian food was, was when I came, well, I, I didn't actually live in Grand Rapids. I worked in uh, Grand Rapids and would go back and forth from Muskegon to Grand Rapids. And I ended up eating at her restaurant. And that was the first time that I've had Haitian jerk chicken, which is completely different than Jamaican jerk chicken. When Jamaican jerk is usually like a dry rub and um, tons of different spices. Um, and it's usually kind of like char, char grilled, if you will, and kind of looks black. Um, complete opposite of Haitian jerk chicken, which is usually um, a wet rub and it kind of almost it's almost saucy, if you will. Um, same amount of spice, but um, completely, completely different. And the way they do their plantains, uh, plantains, if you will, are, are completely different. The um, from, are oh, right. my goodness. Crazy. The video uh, was, <laughs> yeah. oh, my gosh. Amazing. If you all don't know what that is, um, I implore you to watch the episode and I implore you to cook it yourself. Um, so cultural ingredients. Yes. Cultural ingredients. GVU. Just yes. type those in. You'll get one show, and it'll be that show with Griok Banan. Well, and then we'll talk about the other half of the show. But that was not the only thing she made. She um she made Griok Banan, and then one other thing. Yes, what was it uh, soup jamon. Uh, uh, and that was and that was her or that was the celebratory soup, um, which was an amazing one, an amazing dish. It tastes great, um, but also just an amazing story. Um, so the story is is that the Haitians, if you will, were um, colonized by the French, and while they were being colonized, or as they were colonized by the French, they would um, basically basically slaves, similar to the African American experience, um, but within their own land. And what they what the Haitians would do is they would cook this 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 soup for the uh, for the French and they would cook it um, for them. And they once they once the Haitians declared their independence, they ended up making this soup as a celebratory um, dish, kind of reclaiming reclaiming it as their own because they were um they were oppressed for so many years. So just an amazing, uh, amazing story behind that, that particular soup. Well, and Haiti being the, the only uh, slave 
colony, if you will, that completely emancipated themselves. Right, right, so right. You, you have like African slaves who basically were like, nope. Right, yeah. And overthrew like, nah. the, the French government. Exactly. I'm not taking this. their own state. Exactly. Which is amazing. Right, exactly. Like, to date, that's, I think, the only one. Well, I, I think I think Jamaica has done it as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they, they, they claim, I mean, they're all independent now, but yeah. uh, they all have their... They, they did it in very different ways. Um, I would say, um, but yeah, Haiti is the only one that did it in, in the way that they did, and 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 rightfully so. They have a very extremely rich rich history, um, and if you have not had uh, authentication food, you are missing out. Go cop you some right now. You will not be disappointed. No. That, <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was really a, a fun shoot and delicious food. Oh my, my gosh! Part of the shoot. Amazing. It was so good. <laughs> and then you went to another restaurant. Yes. Oh my goodness, my guy, my guy, my guy, my guy, Oscar. He is absolutely brilliant in his own right. He takes food to the ultimate level. Um, and he had already had experience with um, with taking ingredients and reclaiming them as as their own. So his, his dig was working with uh, different ingredients that were of pre-Hispanic times and taking these ingredients uh, that were used then and and making some dope ditches now mm-hmm. um so he and that's that's his dick that's his thing already so being able to link up with him for the show was an easy an easy decision um i'm glad that and actually you mariano you introduced us did i you did yeah oh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah yeah you introduced us oh i remember i went to dinner there and he came out I don't remember why he came out, but he came out. It's a Mexican restaurant with the theme being, this is what Mexicans ate before the Spanish arrived. Right. And he comes out and like, I was wowed by this guy. This is right (laughs) around the time that we're still deciding how we're going to structure your show. And I was like, I, this is, this is ideal television. Like we need to get this guy in front of George and see if he likes him. And then I guess, had you met him before? I, we had met before, but it was, it was, and passing, you know, so we've never really had a, a real conversation. And I remember the first time we had uh, we, we were able to sit down and I think it was over wine, too, if I'm not mistaken, and and just have a really real conversation about um, about food and around um, how food has changed throughout history and has been influenced by colonization and what it was before and, and what it is now and what it means to our individual selves, him being from Mexico, um, him, uh, he's had such a, a vast connection with the food that he grew up with there. Um, and then also my connection with food, not being able to get past a certain generation because of slavery and not fully understanding where I come from beyond America, um, which I've since then, I we, we we have been able to find um, where we have come from. But even then, to, to my point, um, not growing up with those dishes that I was uh, that are necessarily mine pre uh, America. 
so within that, we we I talk I was able to talk about the food that I was able to grow up with, and that was passed down um, from generation down to to my generation, um, which was soul food. You know, I remember sitting in the kitchen looking at all of my aunts help my grandmother as she's cleaning the collard greens and and making uh, sweet potatoes and or yeah sweet potatoes candy yams and and macaroni and cheese and dressing and and with the cranberry sauce and having these conversations and stories that my grandmother would tell my aunts um, and, and me just being, you know, a youngin, a little youngin, and sitting there and like as, as a, a fly on the wall, you know, listening to the, this history and the storytelling that happened um, surrounded around the kitchen. And um, is that what inspired you to, to go into culinary arts or what, what did it for you? Um, yeah, um, yes and no. You know, um, I was always passionate about cooking, but I didn't take it seriously, seriously until uh, I was I was a sophomore in high school, and I'll never forget it. My parents called me into their room, and my mother handed me this this pamphlet, this book, and I started looking through it, and I was like, yeah, what is this? And I started to see like cosmetology and carpentry and nursing and, and um, all these different programs, and um, I ended up finding out, and it was like, yo, this is a tech center. Choose a program. Um, and I was I was super trash at school. Like I mean, I was like I said, I wasn't really uh, I wasn't really focused on the the liberal arts education or aspect of of education and and school and the structured education uh, or traditional education was not necessarily didn't best suit me. So I'm I'm very thankful that my parents um, saw that and and wanted to kind of make a resolution um, so that I would have an opportunity to be successful at life. So I ended up choosing culinary um, and ended up going to culinary school and um, I chose it because I thought I honestly thought that I was just going to eat the entire time. Like <laughs> I like <laughs> like what what high school student wouldn't choose that? I mean, I got to miss half the half the day of school, go cook and eat and like what? It was it was perfect. Like I had it. And but ended up, you know, falling in love with it and ended up uh, learning all the the, the um, culinary techniques, the mother sauces, all these different knife cuts, and ended up getting a job at Giovanni's Fine Italian Dining when I was 16 and worked on the grill line, which was like crazy for um, at the time for my age, because usually people on the grill line, especially at fine dining restaurants, um, have to have this X amount of experience in order to, you know, be able to flip steaks and flip swordfish and all these other types of things. So it came time for me to decide what I wanted to do um, after high school and ended up choosing. And I knew from working in the kitchen that I didn't necessarily want to be a chef per se, but I wanted to be a part of the hospitality industry. Um, So I ended up going to the Culinary Institute of Michigan and majoring in food and beverage management. And it was while I was there that I ended up volunteering at this wine tasting event and ended up pouring um, uh, what was a Chateauneuf du Pop. And I was like, uh, a Chateauneuf du what? Like, what you just call me, bro? Like, hold on a second. Like, pause. (laughs) So the rep ended up explaining that Chateauneuf du Pop literally translates to be the castle of the Pope. And the Pope used to go to this castle in the southwest region of France and essentially just got lit. He drank a bunch of wine and (laughs) liked it so much that he just kept going back to this castle. And um, so much so that the French wanted to turn this this particular region in France, um, the Vatican. um, It obviously didn't happen. But what did end up happening was the Pope ended up blessing this land of grapes. um, And that's how you have Chateauneuf du Pop. And that started 
uh, my journey and love for for wine. It was then that I saw the connection in between history, culture, food, and and also drink, and how all of those different things intersect. And and so much, and it, and it reminded me so much of what was lost or what what has been lost within the American culture as it relates to the dining experience after the the fifties and sixties when um we were we were all going to war and basically it became a, a quick food society where we were able to quick freeze our food and, and have it in mass and and, and and in mass bulk um so quickly and so readily available that we started to dip away from um the experience of dining together and sitting at sitting at the table and, and having uh, a meal and having these conversations that were essential or I feel are, are essential to understanding um, one's culture and understanding just another person. For me, at least, it's over a meal and over a nice glass of wine, or really any fermented beverage. To be to be quite <laughs> frank with you, um, but yeah, so that was that was that was that exposure and experience, that aha moment for me, um, was that experience. And so, just a, a brief question on on the the Chateau du Pop, or oh, yeah, 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 is Chateau that, du Pop. Is that <laughs> like? affordable pricey like yeah no nah, it's definitely it? yeah it's definitely pricey for sure for sure i mean i guess it's mid-range i mean you can get a decent chatinif for like 65 so it's not like it's more than i normally spend yeah yeah yeah, yeah right right but it's, it's not, not like, like yeah it's not like astronomical yeah yeah yeah, 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 okay. yeah for not sure these 400 dollars bottles right yeah okay. yeah not, right. none of that it's maybe one very very fancy <laughs> I'll, I'll try that one what does it go with um, oh my gosh, something that's also really earthy. So Chateau du Pop. Uh, like lamb? Like lamb. Like <laughs> I keep going I keep going back to lamb. <laughs> lamb or goat. Like that's my those are my two go tos. But something that's been stewed something like that that's been stewed. Um yeah, it's it's amazing. Okay. You get these with I, I love Chateau du Pop because Chateau du Pop is actually a sub region of the Côte de Rhone. Um, and it was then when I found out that Chateau du Pop was a sub region and and, and Côte de Rhone predominantly grew three different types of three different types of grapes, uh, Grenache, Syrah, Mouvedre, um, GSM for short. And typically, wines from that region have this type of um, earthiness, um, this barnyardy kind of feel to it, um, but still has really nice grip. Um, so you get tons of notes like blackberry, um, and you get notes of um, uh, of stewed stewed um, uh, stewed dark fruit, if you will. Um, but you still get this really nice earthy richness that uh, comes from it, which is why I think lamb or goat that still has a gamey type of taste to it goes perfectly with it. This actually brings us. Back to where we are in in life outside of <laughs> podcasts and media, which is you are um, you're a psalm. Yeah, that's 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 my gig. So that's my thing. <laughs> which means yeah, well, well, yeah. So first level. So it it's so I have my first level. Dude, that's one more than I got. So. <laughs> right on, man. But yeah, sommelier is literally a wine steward, a steward of wine, and it's it's a French term. And that's what it literally translates to be, um, essentially a wine waiter. Um, through time, um, it's it's been looked at as a, a, a bunch of different things now. 
um, a sommelier can be descri- or can be described as a person who is a distributor or per se a winemaker or anything that has to really do with wine and education. That's kind of what it's developed into. But the classically, if you are not serving on the floor in a restaurant um, and serving wine, you technically are not a sommelier. But there, there's a, there's some stipulation in the wine world surrounded around that, but that we can save that for a different time. <laughs> okay, some we were supposed to be. I mean, COVID kind of like messed up everything. Everything, everything. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> this year we were supposed to take your show to like every food and wine thing that we possibly could find straight out and get ourselves into to promote your show, right? And right. to get you a full season, right? That didn't happen for you or for anybody else at Shaping Narratives. And Unfortunately, so we are. Yeah, I mean, when we had we had good leads on every, for everybody, but uh, for you, it turned into uh, I guess the possibility or the 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 search for other opportunities, or did they come to you? Yeah, no, I mean it. Well, no, so yeah, I'll tell you how it happened, man. Um, so I have my own business, Scraped Out, where the 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 motto or the little, the yeah the motto is to take the bougie out of wine. And I've been doing that through two different phases. Uh, the first phase of which is through pop-up tastings where I intersect live music, live art, food, and then, of course, wine all into one experience. And I have these pop-up dinners that are like five courses at a bunch of different, or I had, I should say, because COVID, but had these pop-up dinners at uh, a bunch of, bunch of different restaurants here in Grand Rapids. Um, and they would sell out in like... A day. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. I was surprising. I, I was. I was like, what? I don't know why it was surprising to you. It was. It was. They were just. <laughs> they'd show up online, and next thing you know, it was done. Yeah, you could I not was get in. Man, I was super thankful for that. That was <laughs> crazy, honestly, because you know I had these. I had this idea um, to kind of bridge all of these things, the arts, and and then also. Um, well, yeah, this is arts because food is art, wine is art, um, but also um, music, um, audio art, and then also visual art, um, being able to um, have a bunch of different dope local artists, painters come and make a piece on the spot and live auction or silent auction it um, to where, you know, the homies were walking away with a bag. Like I remember my last pop up that we did, Asan Summersell, who is an amazing, amazing artist. He actually just did a mural here in Grand Rapids that's absolutely gorgeous. I forget where it is, but um, if you check him out online. But yeah, so his his last painting that he did ended up selling for like $700. You know what I mean? So getting him a bag, but also getting my homie Jordan Hamilton, who is an amazing, amazing musician, classically trained cellist, um, has a master's degree in it. You, he goes from playing Bach to playing Chance the Rapper, or, or rapping and, and Chance the Rapper. I mean, he does it all. And then in a few intersecting jazz and hip-hop and classical music all into one experience an absolutely amazing artist my dog my homie I always have to shout him out but yeah so developed this and that was the first phase of graped out the second phase of graped out was to actually make my own wine and make my own juice so that was that's what I've always wanted to do so in order to do that, I, I had to learn how to make wine. <laughs> so I ended up looking for, uh, so actually my, my old boss when I was, uh, I used to be a distributor and I used to sell wine and he ended up hitting me up and was like, Hey, Andrew Jones is looking, who's a producer out in California is looking for 
um, some help for harvest season. And when, when you say producer, what do you mean? Oh yeah, yeah, a winemaker. Um, yeah, yeah, my producer bad. in my role is different. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so he's a winemaker out in California and has some amazing, amazing projects, field recordings, the fabulist. I mean, I could go on. Um, and ended up shooting it to one of my homies, and uh, who was also a winemaker and in California. And she was like, "Yeah, that's this is a dope opportunity, um, but don't think that this is your only opportunity." <laughs> so she ended up connecting me with another winemaker out in California and ended up having a conversation with them and um, they didn't offer any housing for the intern. So a harvest internship is essentially what it is, is you, you go out to the winery and you make wine, you make their wine for three months or, or learn how to make their wine for three months and then you go back home. So um, the winery that she connected me with didn't offer any housing, but they offered a stipend. So it didn't really make sense for me because Cali is just mad expensive just to start with. And then also to be able to find a house for only three months and then come back is just a lot of work. So ended up connecting with another one of my friends who connected me with a winery out in Oregon and ended up talking to them. Um, they offered housing, they offered a, a decent stipend, and they had a private chef for all the harvest interns. So I was like, yo, yeah, this is a no-brainer. Like, <laughs> I'm going to Oregon. So ended up getting it, accepting it that day. But two weeks prior to that, I had basically uh, shot a blind email to info at Wade Sellers. Um, and I was like, hey, my, my name's George Walker. I'm 26 years old. I don't know if you guys are accepting any harvest interns this year, but I'd love to work this season. So didn't hear anything back until two weeks later and after I'd already accepted the position in Oregon and got an email from the president, my now, bo- my now boss, a direct boss. And he was like, hey, sorry, I'm just getting out, just not getting back to you, uh, but I've been on vacation for the past two weeks. How about you shoot over your resume and let's hop on a call tomorrow? So I'm like freaking out. I'm just like, yo, what? Like, I got to I got I got a message back. Like, this is wild. Like, I didn't even expect anything back because it was just like, a, of course you did. yeah, a shot in the dark you know and it's also Wade Sellers so after you know after I get done freaking out and call everyone you know who's important to me um I end up sleeping it off and and end up getting on a phone call with him the next day and he's like hey your resume looks great tell me your story so you know I ended up telling my story um he's like okay dope so here's the lowdown here's the here's the gig we're actually not looking for a harvest intern at all I'm actually looking for a right-hand man to the whole operation. Mike drop runs out the room. What? Like, yo, <laughs> everything after that, I was just like, I mean, I just kind of blacked out, but all I can remember was saying, yes, 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 yes. Like, <laughs> whatever, let's sign me up, you know? So he ended up saying, um, let's hop on a call next week with um, the managing partner, um, see what he thinks. I had a great call with him. And then uh, the following week ended up popping on another call with Dwayne Wade's um, team. Wade Sellers is owned by Dwayne Wade. So I'm just like, this is wild. So I'm talking to Dwayne Wade's team over at uh, CAA, the Creative Arts Agency, and they're into it. I get the offer um, the next day, or that night actually. That night, I'm writing my counter offer as everyone all should always, always counter. So, but as I'm writing my counter offer, I'm like chilling with my girl she's she helps me with everything 
and she uh I, I looked down at my phone and as I looked down at my phone I see that Dwayne Wade DM me on Instagram and I'm just like yo what like what is going on like what is life and I didn't have it in me to like look at the actual message because I was just like freaking out I mean as like pretty much anyone would, you know? So, um, I look at the message. She's like, Hey bro, I heard you just had a meeting with the D Wade sellers team. How'd it go for you? And I was just like, yo, it was dope. Like it was amazing. He's like, yeah, we're excited to have you on the team. And I was like, yeah, this is crazy. So, you know, ended up accepting the, the position. Um, they accepted my counter offer and yeah, I'm moving to Napa. I leave in two days, <laughs> which is why we're very thankful that you, you came in to do do this because it's oh my no thank middle you of the day on friday yeah no thank you for the opportunity this is absolutely amazing i love it this it, it's really cool to be able to tell the story and my story and the holistic journey that i've been experiencing while in michigan because it's it's a it's a surreal time you know and it's a really surreal moment because I've been in Michigan for now eight years, and this is kind of where I I, I became a man. It kind of came into myself as uh, not only um, uh, a professional, but also just a, a genuine human being. Um, so it's just inter- and, and also where I met the love of my life. So it's it's just uh, an interesting shout out to Brandy. Shout out to Brandy Arnold, my boot thing, Professor Bay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's it's a it's a it's a weird time for for both her and I because we're we're moving to California. <laughs> That's amazing. So she is moving out there with you, which is also she beautiful. Is. And uh, she is. You guys are going to, I'm sure just kill it out there <laughs> i'm hoping so she does some she does really really great work at wimcat right now west michigan center of arts and technology uh really surrounded around justice um and and surrounded around human centered design and thinking and social innovation um basically bridging the gap with private businesses and community and making sure that private businesses are always human centered and equity is always at the forefront of every movement that they make for not only their business, but more so for the community in which that business is, period. And then she also, that's one side of her job, um, which is community, like community catalyst and um, their agency that they have. And then she also has another side of her business to where she is the program director for God, I, I, I hate that I forget the name of the program, but essentially what Step Year, Step Year is the name of the program. And basically what that program is, which I wish I had at, at that age, but in between the ages of 18 and 24, when there's kind of like that gray area of where you want to be in life uh, in between high school and, and college, and it may be not even college because most of these kids have these brilliant ideas of what they want to do, but don't necessarily know how to get there. Um, And that program is designed to be able to create scenarios to where they're exposed to a bunch of different industries and powerhouses within the city, giving them different ideas of what they could do and connecting them with uh, resources and opportunities that they might not have had without the, the program. So she is amazing in her own right. Um, I am thankful for her and I'm thankful for our relationship. Got to shout her out. Professor no, you, you have to. <laughs> 
So grape doubt, is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? Are you taking it with you? What's the plan? Yeah, yeah. So fortunately, I am in a business where it's actually frowned upon if you don't have a side job, if you will. Um, So even so, my president, my direct boss, Matt Noman, has his own project um, called Newfound Wines. And he does amazing, amazing work with his own thing aside, you know, from weight sellers. So, yes, Grape Doubt will definitely live on. Um, It'll probably live on in a different in a different way. Grape Dot will probably focus more on the pop-ups and the more cultural side, whereas the actual wine um, will become GW3, giving homage to... Oh, so you're uh, still going to do your own wine? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Still going to do that. And I think that this will propel that even more um, as I develop more connections out in California. But yeah, so it, is, it will develop into GW3, paying homage to my heritage, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, and of course my father through my wine. Um, I want to focus more on the agricultural side of things as George Washington Carver did with peanuts, but me doing it through, through wine and grapes. It's <laughs> amazing. Are you going to do any more media or can we expect a grape doubt podcast or a GW three podcast? Or yeah. A yeah. Vlog, so I, I am, TV show? I am hoping to be able to continue cultural ingredients I am hoping that I'll be able to connect with some people out in California, Northern California, and hopefully it works out because I, I really want to continue this. And hopefully that you're still my producer because I I'm done. did some dope stuff. Yeah, <laughs> for and real, I get for to visit Northern California, which like, why not? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, I mean, we're uh, hopefully going to try to connect you to PBS there. That would be amazing if PBS could pick up uh a show that was created for a PBS audience. Heck yeah. Um, so we're going to, we're going to try that. Heck yeah. Uh, but if not, I'm sure you'll find something <laughs> to do with it. Cause it's such a good show. I'm, I'm really, I'm proud of my part in it. I am very, uh, proud of, of you for coming into this with no real media knowledge wow. and then just turning into a heck of a host. I mean, wow, just like thank you. an amazing host a great producer, good writer. I mean, just like Man. all of the things that go into producing a show, people think you just show up on camera and like <laughs> smile and, and right. talk about whatever is being done in front of you. Right. Not even close. It's, not, yeah. it's so much more than that. So much wow. more work that you had to put into it. So much more thought, intentionality, the promotion that you do around the, the things that you do is always on point. One of the things that we didn't really talk about, but I want to just mention, which is really, I think, stands out about you and the way that you do it. You're you're a very knowledgeable guy in your area, which you know is culinary arts and wine. And in, in the shows, one of the things that everybody, including the chefs, uh, appreciated about you is your willingness to break it down for people like me who don't know wow. about wines and cooking. And so thank you so much. Uh, one of the things that I remember you, you insisted on leaving in the show and I was like, dude, but you know, this might kind of mess with your <laughs> credibility. And you were like, no, 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 this is what it's about was um, there are two or three moments in, in the in the show where it kind of becomes humorous that you you say like, oh, I, I know how to handle my knife skills. And then <laughs> it's like, well, do a Julian cut and you, you start doing it wrong. And then uh, Oscar corrects you. And he's like, well, this is how you do it. Or whisking was the other <laughs> one, right? And I mean, these are not things that you don't know how to do. They're just 
Yeah, everybody has their own way that they do it, and there's always an easier and quicker way. And Ask Chef Oscar had definitely knows the easiest and quickest way, and he was like, "Yo, I got you. You don't have to work this hard to do it." And he was just like, "Boom, boom, 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 boom." And I was like, "Wait, what?" And he's just like, "Boom, boom, boom, boom." And I was like, "Okay, I got you." <laughs> yeah, but not only that. I mean, you, the the reason you did a lot of these things, and because we talked through them. This isn't just me speculating. We talked through these things. You wanted people to be able to learn. To watch you and learn because you, you watch these these cooking shows by famous chefs and they don't really break it down for you. They, they just tell you like this is how the professionals do it. And you watch it and you're like, I can't do that. <laughs> or I mean, or if you're arrogant enough to think you can, uh, you end up making some monstrosity that you're probably not going to be able to eat. Right, right. And you don't. You're like, no, this is how you whisk. Mm. Let watch me do it wrong, then watch him do it right. Right, and, and right. You will learn how to whisk. Right. Or you will learn how to do a Julian cut or whatever it is. Exactly. Um, that takes humility. It takes knowledge of what people need to know mm. that they be, they will probably get wrong. I won't know what a Julian <laughs> cut is, and I'm not great with whisking. Um, but having the presence of mind to know what uh, what the audience is not going to know mm. and having the humility to to do it in such a way that even though you don't look super knowledgeable when you're doing <laughs> it it makes me learn right on that took i i mean i don't know how you came up with the idea cuz that one was not in the script <laughs> you just did it and and it looks great and it sounds great and it's uh it's funny which is even better. Yeah, it was just a it was just a fun time. I mean, and and it came from just genuineness. And I mean, we did it. It was like it was all one take, one shot. I mean, straight through. We didn't repeat anything. So we were. I mean, we were actually just really just cooking, chopping it up, and and having real conversations. You know, and that's. I mean, and it was birthed from the authenticity of that. You just said something that I forgot, which I don't know why I didn't remember <laughs> that. This was both of those shoots were done essentially in one take now we we had to do beauty shots and right things, slow right, motion shots right. and things like that but the other actual events right right were one day straight each through. and yeah. one straight shot yeah 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 you just you're a joy to work with <laughs> thank you you you're too a man. talented guy <laughs> we're gonna miss you incredibly here in west michigan and oh, i'm not just man. talking now about like wgvu myself our crew I think everybody that knows you, wow. your work, your, who's you know, worked with you, your events, man, we'll miss you. I'm sure the kids in Muskegon missed wow. you too when you left Muskegon and they'll miss you more now because now you're even further away. Man, thank you so much. Seriously. But we look forward to seeing what you do out there because I'm sure we're going to end up hearing about it. Wow. Wow. I, I know we will. You, you, I mean, at 26, <laughs> all the things you've done, the trajectory that you're plotting out for yourself, mm. the fact that you already have plans. Wow. I, I mean, hats off to you. It's it's incredible mm. to watch you just be. Wow. Be George Walker III. Wow. Thank you so much, man. It's uh, it's incredibly humbling. Um, I And I feel, I feel the love. I feel the love from the city. Um, and I feel the love from from family and friends from all over. And um, it just gives me that drive to continue to strive to be great and continue to pass the torch and not keep it for myself, um, because that's what it's about. Um, we, we, we have to we have to pass it down, especially being people of color. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have so many different mentors and quite frankly, until recently, I haven't found uh, mentors who were people of color. Um, I'm, I'm thankful that I now 
since COVID, the, the internet has been able to bring us all together. And, and for me to be able to find people like, who can I say, D-Lynn Proctor, and people like Carlton McCoy, who are out in Napa, California, Carlton being the first um, black master sommelier, and then also the youngest person to attain that crazy, crazy goal and status and, and pass the test. And, and I'm linking up with him as soon as I step foot in Napa. You know, he's become one of my mentors. Also, Philippe Andre, who's out in Chicago, who's um, the na- yeah, national brand ambassador for Charles Heitzig, one of the, the oldest um, champagne houses in, in the world. And being able to have him on my line and be able to call him up and, and ask for some help whenever, wherever I need it. I want to be that for people who who look like me and to be able to show them like they have showed me that it's possible that these things are attainable and that you can do it and be that support. Well, George, uh, thank you very much for your time, not just in this podcast, this one event, but over the past two and a half to three years of uh, all you've given to West Michigan, all you've given to WGVU and to your show, to the people that watched it, the people that participated in making it, and to the people that were uh, supporters slash beneficiaries of your great out <laughs> events and everything else that you've done here in West Michigan. We will miss you. We will look forward to all the things that you do. And we're very uh, glad to have had you be part of the story of West Michigan for as much as eight years. And for some of us, uh, unfortunately, less than that, but certainly long enough to know the the kind of person that you are and how outstanding the work that you do is. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Mariano. I, I really appreciate the love that you have shown me. Um, and, and I am looking forward to seeing you in Napa and seeing you in Northern California. Also, thank you, West Michigan. Um, you all have an amazing, deep, deep place in my heart. And I'll see y'all soon. Absolutely. You'll definitely see me. I don't know about all of West Michigan, but you'll see me in Napa for sure. Uh, Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Well, cheers. Cheers. Shipping Narratives, a collection of voices from West Michigan's communities of color, is brought to you in partnership with the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, a partner with communities where children come first. Want to hear more Shaping Narratives episodes? Download and subscribe at WGVU.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and subscribe if you get a chance. It helps us to know you're listening. Shipping Narratives is produced by WGVU, PBS and NPR in West Michigan, through the facilities of the Meyer Public Broadcast Center, a service of Grand Valley State University. Matt Gruppen processed all the audio. Joe Belecki edits each episode. Vansor designed our graphics and manages our web presence. Philane is our director of content. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WGVU or Grand Valley State University.